Greetings, fair citizens of Valorward. Tonight, we continue and fully endeavor upon our game of Court of Blades, where I will sometimes use a fancy Renaissance voice developed from five years of being in the Society for Creative Anachronism. I am your humble dancing master, Michael R. Underwood. Mike everywhere except my byline and when I'm being other people in RPGs, which I will, I will do tonight with these lovely folks. Court of Blades is a game by a couple of drakes who have given us lovely production support. They made the elements of our overlay. So thank you so much to the drakes. They've been lovely to work with. And I am now going to invite our players to introduce themselves. But let's hold off on introducing your characters for just a moment, because we're going to do a little bit of coterie level stuff. And then we'll talk about characters, how you all know each other. And then depending on how much time we have left, some amount of an adventure to kick off the the illustrious career of this coterie. So I'm going to ask Premi to introduce herself. Hi, I am Premi Mohammed. I am a novelist and short fictioneer uh, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And uh, I recently won a Subjective Chaos Award, a Nebula Award, and an Aurora Award. So it's all been very, very exciting over here. And uh, yeah, I'd like to thank everyone for inviting me tonight. I'm excited to play. Hi, I am Marie Villado. I am an Ottawa-based uh, science fiction, fantasy, and horror writer, as well as a performing storyteller. I'm also the co-chair of CanCon, which is coming mid-October, which I'm very excited about. And I am very, very excited about playing tonight. So thanks for being here. Yay! Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon O'Brien, a poet, writer, and game designer from Trinidad and Tobago, and one-third of the co-host team of Speculate, alongside Mike and Greg, I am also the author of the poetry collection, Can You Sign My Tentacle? Which, as of this morning, won first place in the 2022 Elgin Award. Hey -o. So, I am very excited about that, and uh, the camera is at, like attempting to censor the book so you don't get your <laughs> mind warped by all of the weird poetry inside here. But, if you haven't gotten a copy of this, I guess you now can get a copy of a thing that's won an award. And if you already have it, you have a thing that's won an award. So that's very cool. And I'm very excited to get into Court of Blaze shenanigans because we've been talking about this for so long that now I'm just very excited to actually do some swashbuckling. So yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Gregory Wilson, uh, better known as Arvin Elleron on this channel, author and uh, game master and streamer and podcaster. And as Brandon has said, co-host, uh, along with Mike and Brandon of Speculate, which is now in its, I think, 12th year of production, if I'm not mistaken. So it's been it's been going on for quite some time. And uh, the two things that I want to quickly mention are, first of all, that my novel Grayshade, which came out in May, um, is currently up on Storygraph as one of the giveaway options for story graph so if you are interested in getting uh, to see it yourself you should take a look and if you want to know more about that and about the sequels Renegade and Heretic which are coming out in 2023 and 2024 respectively or about the tabletop role-playing game being designed by a certain Elgin award-winning author uh, this was part of my plan you know first I make sure that the person wins awards and then no so but uh, Brandon is uh, designing this and it's it's going to be 
badass. I think Brandon would agree it's going to be pretty amazing. So that is going to be coming out next year as well. And you can find all of that at that link for Gray Shade uh, that has just been placed in chat. Otherwise, I'm super pumped up as well for Court of Blades. And I cannot wait to actually get into playing after we put together an awesome map, which was completely realistic in every respect. It's awesome to, to actually be just as realistic with our characters. Valorward. The greatest city in this or any other age, as Sean Drake said in the uh, in the intro, which is kind of keeping language from from Ilrian. Valorward is a city of honor, a city of duels. It is a city of trade. It is a city of plenty. There are you know three different major crops of Valor Island: the lens caps, the queen's apples, and the illustrious and uh, somewhat mysterious plentifruit, which grants uh, oracular powers if you believe such things. Though the the continued fortunes of House Karin might suggest that there is something to it, or maybe it's just a front for their other ma magics. And in the now 300 years since the founding of the settlement formerly known as Valor's Reward, now Valorward, House Vorster was there from the beginning, among the first veterans and their families and entourages or the soldiers that fought with them who came to this island they thought was, you know, long since abandoned and to, by all accounts was. But we know as the audience that, that the Dialta are not all gone forever. They came to this island, they found amazing gifts, and every year on the day that they kind of arrived on the island, they have celebrated what is now known as Founders Day. And today is the 300th anniversary of the founding of Valoward. And so the Founders Day Festival has become a little bit less central as other holidays have kind of come, at, uh, come and gone. We have some, I have some plans for merch. I want merch for all of the things. So House of Orster is trying to kind of make Founders Day a big thing again because they are the old house of martial valor. Their history and Valorward's history are truly inextricable. And so they have kind of lobbied for the honor of hosting the Founders Day Feast because it's not uh, the feast and ball. It's not as big of a deal compared to some other holidays. On Founders Day, children will send tiny paper boats downriver to the sea. The city will have a very stuffy ceremony of investiture, which was done earlier today. And then at the ball is the more traditional social uh, activities of Valorward, where there is drinking and dancing and merriment and intrigue. There must always be intrigue. We can do you blood and rhetoric, but there must always be intrigue. Probably not blood today. Founders Day is also a customary day to open a business, to get married, or to begin a new endeavor. And so we will join our coterie, who at some point will need a name, perhaps a name will emerge from their exploits this evening, in the the kind of the great halls of House Vorster, uh, which are, you know, I think maybe not quite as fashionable as the the kind of the quarters and the the mansions of some of the other houses that are farther up in the ranks of the great dance. But they are still illustrious. They are very storied, which is appropriate for the Founders' Day feast. And in the grand ballroom, 
There are folks dancing. There is a string quartet. There are many wonderful decorations. And I'm going to point out a couple of cool things that are here. And then I would invite you all to add a detail or an idea of something that might comprise kind of the festivities of the evening. So one of the cool things that we have is magical batteries hanging in windows. And this is a, a magic thing that Brandon and I talked about in one of the the world building stream we did a while back. So there is floating kind of volcanic porous rock that is suspended toward the top of great bay windows and would have been absorbing light all day. And now in the evening, it has the power to refract that light. And thanks to some additional magic, it casts colored patterns on the walls, showing slowly moving murals depicting moments from Valor's history. And so the great white painted wall, uh, walls of the interior of this ballroom are covered with scenes of battles from, from the old country scene of like a, a successfully repelled invasion, other moments, but not just from House of Worcester's history, but Valorward overall. Another thing is a great sculpture that is placed kind of at one end of the, the room. And this sculpture is, you know, it was like starts 12 foot tall and depicted uh, one of the initial the initial founders, the founder of House Vorster. But as the party has progressed, that sculpture has, the outer layer has dissolved, revealing a different sculpture of another leader later in Valoward's history. So this is a, a use of the destructive magic of the old country put to a beautiful use. And so, you know, every 30 to 40 something minutes, this sculpture is kind of becoming a new thing as it's almost sculpted and carved in real time, becoming smaller and smaller, revealing new visions. For anybody who has an idea, what's another element that either you were involved in introducing or that you think House Vorster would be sharing with the, the attendees of this ball who are largely drawn from the nobility, but also from prominent factions that are well regarded in the city? I would assume there's a there's a spot in one area of the hall in which there is a mock combat being conducted where there are specific historical combats styles being used as examples. So you have something from from what people can tell, from what the researchers from the Academy Valor have told us, or the Valor Academy, about uh, what House Vorster would have done when they first began in terms of how things were fought, and then combat from 200 years ago, and then combat from 100 years ago, you know, and the modern innovations of new combat as time has gone up. And I imagine that Karevis is watching with arms folded with a a smile on his mustachioed face, arms crossed over his armor. He has, by the way, a deep crimson cloak that flows down and has the coat of arms of House Vorster on uh, emblazoned on his ceremonial armor. As always, he has not one but uh, two swords at his belt, and he is uh, watching with this 
smile as the very good combat people are working through their paces and occasionally maybe might be known to make a comment to somebody next to him about, you know, that's not exactly how it's done. You have to take a step to the left and then move forward. But it's really quite admirable what they're doing. I'm, I'm very impressed. It's, they've been working on this for a long time, that sort of thing, um, as time goes on. So what about these displays do you think strikes Corvus in this moment as what's the biggest change in how duels were fought between founding and today? 300 years ago, the duels were more brutal, more direct. There is something to be said for the loss of that directness in some ways can be frustrating when you're trying to get from point A to point B. But the truth is that the brutality meant not only were you being unnecessarily cruel with people, it means you were attacking the wrong targets. And there were times where in your rage and your anger, you ended up killing three people around your target instead of the one you actually wanted to kill. So a lot of what I think Karevis would be focusing in on is House Vorster's increased focus on efficient discipline. But it's mixed emotions, right? Because at the same time, Man, the idea of just being able to cut through all the red tape, if you will, of combat and just being like without all the whys and wherefores and just going straight to the point is admirable. But Karevis loves the style of combat that doesn't just want to be cruel for the sake of it. And so I would say there's a mixture in Karevis of this is what things used to be. And man, it was really direct. And that's nice. But... Uh, but how can you give up the innovations of the mise en garde and the step forward and the leap back, um, the parry and thrust? How can you give those things up, really, I think would be the mixed emotion. And I think there's another Bravo, probably across the, across the, the piste or across the, the pitch from you, from maybe one of the other houses. Who do you think that is? Rodriguez. Uh, Rodriguez. It's Rodriguez. Rodriguez, you fop. What are you doing there? You don't understand any of what you're seeing. I suppose you'd have been best suited for 300 years ago, huh? <laughs> Perhaps you want to get back out there. You might be able to keep up with them now. This is, what? by the way, in my mind anyway, good-hearted banter because I actually like Rodriguez. But, you know, he's kind of an old bastard, and so I, you know, make fun of him. What house do you think Rodriguez serves? Uh, I was totally prepared for that question. And uh, <laughs> Rodriguez is clearly a part of... Um, uh, let's see. Let me take a look at the factions. He's probably in House Fairest, I think, because he would be the force side of things. I would assume that he would be, you know, like perhaps we've had like run-ins in the past, our houses, but there's kind of a mutual respect and kind of mm -hmm. an understanding that he knows that I know that I know that he knows, you know, right. um, but I would never choose him over my house naturally, but. Yeah. And so Rodriguez kind of smiles and then plucks basically a little carved ornamented toothpick that's been turned into a rapier from the drink bites the fruit pulls it whilst looking straight at you and then says basically swallows the fruit in one go and says uh Dierencio, do not start things that you are unwilling to end because clearly i am already armed and you have what your tongue Mm, that's not good for anything in terms of fighting. Other things, certainly, but mm, here, 
those look more ornamental than anything. Like it points at your swords and like is doing this as he walks around to like embrace you. As I'm walking towards him, I'm like, that's quite clever. The interesting thing, of course, about your rapier there is that fruits don't bite back. And so I, you know, <laughs> pop him, uh, you know, just do the, the, the step in the Bravo hug, right? The, <laughs> you know, the uh, back slap and then stand back and I look him up and down and I say, um, you're looking fairly well, Rodriguez. What's the news? I've heard there's been mm, action on your side of the street, so to speak. There have been people concerned about whether your house is mm, managing to keep things safely together. I hope you've been able to keep things in order. It's your job to do that, you know. Well, I'm, I end up with uh, quite a number of jobs. It's it's helpful because it gives me the opportunity to buy more hats, like gestures up to his flat cap, which is like a good 18 inches across. <laughs> I would, I would like, have assumed that was your father's. It looks old enough to be that. No, it's your father's. Oh, clever. That assumes that we are brothers. And if so, I clearly got the better hat. I'm very proud of this hat, by the way. This hat that I have, which is also crimson and has like a feather extending up this way. I would encourage everybody to think Sean Connery. Uh, also, I think Rodriguez vibes from Highlander. I would encourage, I know that I called him Rodriguez, but in terms of just the hat look, okay, I'm th for me, that's, that's what I'm imagining. The city has many demands. And when one, when a, a Bravo like you or I is assigned to a task, uh, things have a certain tendency to narrow to a point, as you know. Uh, these true. things I cannot, I can't discuss everything, but what I can discuss is that your cake is very good. We may have to steal your baker from you. Oh, Please introduce yeah. me. Absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. You know, the funny thing about cake is that the more you eat of it, the more magically seems to appear on the plate. It's almost as if they encourage more of it. Here, let me take you in this direction. Perhaps I... you can explain to him how to cut a cake with that dull blade of yours. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's lovely. I think we'll move from there to another vignette, if that's okay, Greg. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. As long uh, as it so, leaves me with cake, I'm all about that. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> it was just my birthday last week, so I've been all about cake this entire week and sign me up for more. <laughs> Very good. So does someone else have an idea for a feature or um, an idea of where you are, um, where your character is in this party that we can jump I to? Do. Great. It's very fascinating that I have this particular element to add to this scene because I hate this element of the scene, which is there is a kind of sand artwork that is attached to the wall. It's not framed or glued or anything like that. It's just using art craft to make this moving vignette that is attached to the wall, that is attempting to tell this montage story of the history of these people coming to Avala Isle and not just settling it, but it's framed as it, like the literal images that are in this uh, scene are framed as if uh, they were given the gift of this land specifically to attempt to tame and civilize it. And there is literally a young like stage performer, maybe like 19 or 20 years old, who is reading this monologue of 
the history of uh, these people coming to this island with this like confidence and self-assuredness that that this is the true only history of this island and i'm just like sitting underneath an archway watching this happen like out of the corner of my eye trying not to let other people notice that i am looking at this and zelfa by the way is wearing a maroon cape dress the cape is like all the way to the ankle very form-fitting very beautiful there is this like almost imperceptible darker maroon stitching across from the left shoulder all the way down to the right of the dress of a now extinct animal on the island called a dragon bird which is like a 10 to 12 foot komodo dragon with hummingbird wings and like i'm kind of wearing it as a statement so people will kind of notice hey this used to be here this is part of the history of this place too you don't know what this thing looks like so yeah and i think maybe sitting sitting at a uh, on a bench at the wall but still with a view of this performance you notice uh caitlin forster who is the the third child of uh of the house one you know is uh, very academically and and intellectually inclined but not really a social socially uh inclined one and she is the the only one in her generation who is especially adept and or interested in magic and so she's watching this aircraft element of uh of the performance uh very very attentively you know in a in a very fine dress with you know uh with flats that you know she kind of has kicked up a little bit and her hair is uh is like back and up with several different pins each of which are ornamented like um swords because house forster even even when they are not at war they they wear that history the the colors of forster are red and gold uh and so uh so is her dress have you been talking with caitlin already today what uh what do you think your character's relationship is with her i think i'm like very amicable with caitlin because like i get the impression that Caitlin has the potential to do a great deal of good, but is struggling with like identifying her own potential in a way that I uh, I, I am like I used to be you when I was a kid. I kind of uh, latched on to trying to be kind of a mentor for her because I didn't have uh, a lot of very powerful elder sister figures in my own life. I walk up to Caitlin like very silently like trying to uh like sneak up on her so i can uh fix one of the hairpins because it's not straight i just whisper as i'm adjusting it uh let everyone see the garnets please you can tell that she almost like squeaked or like made a noise having been surprised because you did sneak up on her but perhaps in a way that you've seen previously, the kind of like the Vorster stoicism sets in and covers it very quickly. And she just kind of straighten, straightens herself 
and lets you fix the the pin and then kind of turns herself in the seat or on the on the bench just so and and her head so that the garnet like catches uh some of the light and you know when she turns it on she can do the noble bearing thing but it is clearly a performance for her in a way that it maybe it is not for her siblings uh and she says i thought that i had that because you use the three over two and cross post with the third braid, but it just wants to go flying everywhere. This is why you don't do your hair yourself, Kate. You should have asked me. I would have helped you. Well, I thought that you were going to be like working with with all the security and that you know you had to pour yourself into that, which. I think probably would have required magic as well. I am not a guard. I do not work for the guards. Who do I work for? I'm well. I'm. Am I being politic or not? Answer how you know is true. Well, she's she's here, so you work for my mother. That being Suen Vorster, the princept of House Vorster, uh, who we can see kind of across the across the hall. Uh, surrounded by other nobles. Uh, you know, there's the precept of how Sapphire chatting, but clearly not having the, the, the best time from what you can tell. And then an almost, if not larger crowd around Morgane Vorster, who is the eldest and recognized heir of the house. From, from Sue and Morgane has kind of inherited like a really powerful presence and somewhat sharp features. Uh, and they are like all three of them are fairly fair skinned, dark hair, kind of brown to dark brown. And Morgane is like almost half a hand taller than uh, than their mother. And as they've r- kind of risen in in age, kind of taken on more responsibilities, there's been a lot of rumors kind of inside the house and out that they have capital A ambition. And I'm curious, uh, Brandon, what what Zelfa has has heard or thought about a young heir trying to prove themselves. I mean, I think the thing that is of interest to me is what one wants to prove themselves by doing. Um, there are lots of ways to keep and hold. There's lots of ways to gain and keep power, but none of those things are as valuable as the things that you do with your power when you have it. Um, which is part of the reason why I'm so, like, focused on Kate. Because mm-hmm. I do feel like, even though, for the most part, I trust uh, House Forster uh, very deeply, power is still a very dangerous thing. And I guess I'm trying to get in on the ground floor of someone's relationship with power, such that Kate learns that there are responsibilities that one has uh, to the people who are of less power than you. So yeah. uh, I, I lean like just a little bit towards uh, Caitlin as I sit down on the bench and I go, this is true. I work for your mother. But working for your mother means that I work for you. I'm sure you've noticed your mother is the kind of person who very often will hand you off to me when she doesn't want to think about you anymore. 
I've probably spent more time with you on a daily basis than he has. This is unfortunate, but that is true. And that means that on a day such as this, and I reach into the pocket of my dress, because my dress has pockets, and I pull out a golden uh, hair comb clip that is shaped like uh, five swords all uh, touching at the tips and rising outward, with the same garnets in the hilt as the individual uh, sword clips that she presently is wearing. And I wrap it in a handkerchief right in front of her and hand it to her, and I say, as a result, I've never given a gift to your mother. And yet here I am. The third gift that I've given you in three Founders Days. Who do you think I work for now? Uh, she kind of unfolds it to, to look at the, the comb again, folds it back up, kind of tucks it into, I think she's wearing a, a, a dress that also has a jacket over it with like a, it's like a half jacket and puts, uh, puts it into, into the jacket and then stands and says, well, if that's the case, then perhaps you will do me the service of leading me in a dance. I promised mother that I would dance at least once. And if I dance with you, then I can ignore everyone else. A wise choice. And I lean in to whisper, I don't think any of the men here can dance well either. Well, uh, we'll have to see if anyone can prove that wrong, but tonight or maybe not. Uh, hello and welcome, uh, IDK, what name to be. IDK, what name to be. <laughs> same, <Very> IDK, <laughs> same. <laughs> TBH. All right, I think from there, we the our... Our cinematic camera kind of turns as kind of the the quartet begins a new song. Marie or Premi, who would like to go next? I can go next. So while all of my uh, companions are uh, probably dressed a little bit more loudly than I am, uh, I'm still more comfortable in more muted colors. You know, you get the impression that it's a very nice outfit, you know, practical pants, a nice top on, you know, it, it looks uh, all very fancy. Um, and, and appropriate but not bright colors by any means you get the impression that I could fade into the shadows at any second if I needed to and I'm kind of walking around um, the edge of the room and I'm interested right now not so much in the people but in their movements because I'm trying out out of curiosity trying to adapt some of the old technologies and magics that my family has used to work with monster hunting I've placed some little crystal markers near some of the entryways that are used, especially by the staff. And the idea behind them is that they give a short signal when they're crossed so that they're easier, like you can tell where the monster movements are happening. But they're not really perfected for people movement. So I'm try I've been trying to perfect them, work with them, make them used for different things like bounty hunting. And I'm paying attention to a kid. That one flared a little bit. That one doesn't seem to be doing anything at all. And ooh, that one just like completely went too bright and made a waiter almost drop the tray. So I'm I'm keeping an eye on that. And I'm trying to track kind of the progress, what's working, what's not working in, in those little pieces of um, magic that I've tried to adapt. And I, I'm paying more attention to that than I am to the uh, the events themselves. I mean, there there's, there's other things to be used in a room with so many people than just talking. Sure. Well, I think your your inspection of these uh, these security drums has drawn the attention of actually one of the one of House Forster's honored guests, 
you see kind of or this this uh, this uh, gentleman kind of steps into your view so as to to not surprise you. He wears a a nice but not especially fancy like doublet with with like detachable sleeves and kind of the the poofy the poofy short pants with hose. <gasps> and uh, you know this to be uh, Tishk Sangha, who is a a Valorward inventor and Artcraft specialist of Seveni descent. So he has kind of uh, light uh, light brown skin, kind of a a quite quite fetching like kind of five o'clock shadow and like uh, kind of high peak combed hair uh, and says, this is quite fascinating. I don't think I've seen those used in in this assemblage. What, um, where did you learn this? Is this a, 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 an implementation of your own design? I mean, if I'm honest and I look over and, and over by uh, one of the servers coming out, there's a little kind of a little sad and a little piece of smoke that comes up. And I'm like, oh, if I'm honest, it's one of my family's design, um, but it, the way that we design them is it counted on some pieces from the creatures or some of their families to be able to put into it as kind of a detect a detector, from my understanding. I mean, I'm not a great inventor like you, but I can't take skin and hair from the servers. I've been quite told fiercely this. Um, and so I'm finding it difficult to make to make the system work correctly so that it, it detects everyone and everything going through the barrier. I mean, you can see so many applications for it. Well, certainly. Then, I think having the sympathetic connection to that, what you're trying to detect, the utility based on the source that you described is very evident. I think the difficulty in a broader application is, that's an interesting challenge. Uh, have you considered uh, broadening your sympathetic resonance to uh, objects or um, elements that are more representative rather than uh, literal and uh, a direct um, sample? Like a service tray for a server? A service tray for a server or, well, of course, I imagine that the, the house has this and that there are some of some of these elements are uh, proprietary, uh, but whatever mm. whatever code or cipher that the house has or um, your own a set of symbols, rituals, or a, uh, or something like that. Uh, it could be that the broad usage of such of a such a pattern of um, coded meaning uh, would give you something of um, a medium to draw from or to draw on in using something that kind of outsteps or goes more broad than the original intent here. I also might uh, recommend. Um, recutting some of these gems into uh, an um, uh, an icosahedral uh, pattern, I find that uh, that is actually very useful for human-oriented workings. Oh, thank you. I'm not working with humans and trying to make this technology not quite as deadly or dangerous is my difficulty right now. Uh, well, that's that has a difficulty of, of which I'm uh, uh, sadly very familiar. Uh, you know that there's rumors that Tishk is working on something really big that could kind of reshape the city. Like that's the rumor, but okay. this project has not been announced. And you don't know whether it's supposed to be announced today, but that's like some of the buzz around this guy. Okay. And I, I mean... If something that being a bounty hunter has taught uh, Kara, it is the fact that um, 
rumors are not to be dismissed mm -hmm. and having the uh, upper edge of the rumor is definitely not a bad thing. So I'll um, turn my head a little bit more towards him. I've been kind of staring at the uh, crystal. So, well, I have to be honest, I have heard some interesting rumors about what you're working on. Oh, Sounds well, pretty big. That I can confirm. I would not be in such a shape if I was working on small projects. I've found that my ambition has landed me with larger and larger tasks and expectations to match them. Mm. But working for one of the great houses, I imagine that you may be familiar with that. Yeah. Not unfamiliar with them, but I definitely don't stand in the spotlight such as you seem to be doing right now. Oh, well, that's, I've been trying to get away from it all night. Like, looks up at one of the, the murals and kind of crack, cracks a smile. It's trying to light me in orange, and it's just not my color. <laughs> well, I mean, you look good in anything, friend. Don't worry about that. But um, tell you what, if ever you need extra help or you need just someone to keep a, an eye on you, just let me know. Don't be shy. I know these things can be bad. And, you know, it's a big city. Word gets out. If I hear anything weird, I'll let you know. But I don't know. If I heard about the fact that you're working about, on something big, other people will have to. Well, I, uh, I'm very grateful for that offer and may call upon you if uh, the orange continues to hound me to the ends of the earth. <laughs> understood well perhaps at some point i'll call on you for these um this technology that i'm trying to perfect though i do appreciate your uh your thoughts on them and i also i'm thinking i might have to acquire some of that perfume that some of the houses do tend to prefer but be careful friend you never know what lurks in the shadows oh uh, well if i'm if there is a any place on Valor Isle that is safe. Surely it's the uh, the stronghold of House Forster. Well, that's for sure. You should see some of the traps I've laid across this place. <laughs> okay, cool. And from that, I think we'll cut over to Lutris. Uh, Primi, did you have an idea of like a, a party detail or thoughts on what Lutris is up to? Yeah. So Lutris, I think, is a little tense at things like this, not because of the people, but because of the company. He's very used to crowds, you know, being um, in the army and coming from kind of the uh, lower status areas of the city and growing up with, um, you know, crowded, crowded places. Um, he's walking around with a drink, not something very strong. And people don't seem to notice that he's not drinking it because he's just holding a drink and their eyes kind of glance off at after they notice that he is holding a drink. Uh, he's wearing his, his old dress uniform. And he's always very proud that he's kept it in nice condition and that he still fits into it. And he tries to take very, very good care of it. It's, I guess, uh, it's kind of a, a bluish gray color uh, with trim and the crest, I guess, of the, oh, I guess of the city, maybe rather than House Forrester, and uh, it's got a short cloak that clips onto his shoulders. And he's circulating. He's he's chatting to people he vaguely knows because he's got a good memory. And he's like, well, how's your wife? How's your boyfriend? How's your kid doing at university? I know the term just started. How's that pack of hunting dogs of yours? And, you know, he'll talk to people for a minute and keep going on because he's he's a social climber, but he's nervous about being seen as a social climber. 
And eventually he wanders over to a corner where strange lights are happening because he's curious and there's too many people standing in front of it for him to really see what's going on. So he kind of edges in there with his drink, which is not a whole bottle of wine. Thank you, Marie. And, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, he spots what at first seems something like it would be from his old neighborhood, like something tacky kind of, but it's, um, it's the fancy person version of something tacky. And it's a little uh, stall that's been set up with um, three or four craftsmen who are um, working away at something small under magnifying glasses. And um, there's people milling around holding their drinks and they're making um, souvenirs for the 300th Founders Day, but they're very, very fancy souvenirs. Hair clips made of gold and, and silver combs and brooches and rings that are being customized with little symbols and wards. And um, Lutris kind of nods. He thinks these are tacky, but of course they can't be tacky because they're real precious metals and they're real gems and it's being made in real time. And all the really uh, wealthy nobles that have been invited to this party are kind of loitering around here and remarking on each other's souvenirs and uh and kind of looking at it so he's um he's he's watching that happen and he's kind of making a note of who's gathered around here and who's getting the really expensive customized brooch and who's getting a smaller fancy maybe ring or something like that and he's drinking his drink and leaning against the wall so i think from a uh, a side room that's just a little bit uh, along that you know, or there's a door that leads immediately to a side room, which is often used for meetings. Um, and then there's a hall that connects to the kitchen. Around the corner from uh, from that hall, you see Morgaine, um, the the air turn and like catches, catches your eye and kind of uh, walks over and kind of in the... F- three seconds that they took between seeing you and walking over, you get the sense that they've read the whole scene and like, look, look to your glass and say, if I'm not mistaken, that glass is as full as it was half an hour ago. We have guards on duty. You can enjoy yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your consideration. But how do you know? I didn't just, Get another drink and drink it down to the same level. Because of the smudge on the glass, I've been meaning to ask the staff to to rotate that out, but we had too many people coming today, so we had to use everything. Very perceptive of you. Very perceptive. Yeah, the, the truth is I thought tonight might be a good night to be clear-headed. It's not unreasonable. Uh, what do you think of the um, the keepsakes here? Well, I'm, I'm sure they'll prove to be charming little items for people to leave to their children and grandchildren later on down the line. But if I may be honest, it's nothing that I'd personally wear around the city. They are a good reminder of the differences between how things were and how things are and a good way of knowing who has what kind of taste and that that's that they say like very softly so that others others can't hear covering covering their like basically angling their their fan so that 
no one could read their lips uh, as they as they do so, like just kind of you know doing some some casual fan art, um, you know. And this is like a probably like a, a 10, 12 inch fan, not one of the, like the bigger ones that you see in like uh, burlesque shows or something, but like a smaller <laughs> hand fan because it's not it's not it's not summer. It's this is spring, um, and I think it's at that moment that I ask, what is it that you notice that is suddenly wrong in the room? The statue has gone through one transformation already. I don't think I recognize the third person that it's turned into. I wonder who does. And I wonder who did that because I'm sure that can't have been part of the program. Yeah. So as you, as you turn to regard the statue, the, the figure is a little tragic and you, you can tell that in their hand, they were supposed to be holding like a globe or maybe um, some, some crafted item. But instead, when the kind of the, when the stone dissolves around this thing into a sphere, there is a gigantic pop and a flash, like a flashbang going off. And suddenly the room is filled with shouts and, um, and like very palpable fear all at once. I finish the rest of my drink. <laughs> <laughs> It takes a lot to phase Lutris, having grown up uh, the way that he has. Um, I back up against the wall because it's good to have your back to the wall just in case there's some kind of um, crush or mob situation. And I noticed that uh, Morgane has has done the same because they're a very sensible person, despite being brought up in money. And to my memory, never really having encountered anything like this. And uh, we watched the chaos unfold because people are running for the exits even though they don't know what they're running from yeah and so there's there's people kind of brushing by you and you know there's the shout of guards and the princept vorster is trying to like regain control of the room but like a lot of people have like they're you know clutching their face because like their like their vision is still totally rocked and the light it feels like it generated a bunch of light and sound, but now there is a thick kind of white gray something in the air. And so there's people brushing by um, and you see maybe just in time to be able to do something, one of the craftspeople kind of flips something in their wrist as they're walking up to Morgane and you see a knife. What do you do? I, I don't even think I quickly reach out and uh, take the person's wrist and take the knife and squeeze just hard enough to let them know that if I wanted to, I could break their wrist, but I'm sure this is just a misunderstanding. And now I've got a nice new knife. Okay. So to accomplish this, I think you'll need to make a roll. (laughs) That just happens. Uh, Just so we know that all that all just occurs. And uh, you know, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. What do I, what do I have to roll? Sorry. I'm back on the roll 20. All you're going to use roll uh, 24 is to just literally roll the dice. What I will need from you is which action you're using to do this. And so this is on your character sheet. I can't Um, remember. Um, So actions that you have some points in. Skirmish is a likely candidate here because this 
this assailant has lethal intention, you can tell. But the player always gets to say what action the character is using to address the challenge. Then what I do as mm -hmm. the GM is, is I will say, here's how risky that is, and here's how effective it will be if you succeed. And so I think skirmish is a good choice here, but this is still a desperate situation. You mm -hmm. will, however, have standard effect instead of maybe limited effect if you are trying to use maybe maneuver to disarm them, or if mm -hmm. you were just going to try to use a sway to get them to stop. And so I'm, I, I'm talking think, about some I options think, just to, to give context. I think as a, as a couth, uh, I wonder if I can maneuver at all in this situation. I mean, it sounds like it just happened quite suddenly. This sounds like a skirmish to me. Yep. And uh, I don't know. I feel good about skirmish. I'm pretty sober. I'm a little on edge. <laughs> sure thing. I just grabbed him. <laughs> or I'm, you, or I'm, I'm rolling to see if I can. Right. Do you recall which <laughs> of the special abilities you took on the um, on your playbook? Which extra thing on top of the special armor you have? Options. Uh, you don't have I, to let's go with it. better to be a tiger than a man. Because, awesome. yeah, maybe I... The reason I was looking at those craftspeople was because some of them looked kind of familiar. And I'm sure that House Worcester wouldn't have hired anybody from the low to come work at this party. But if they were looking for skilled craftspeople who might be able to work with uh, this kind of thing, maybe they did. Maybe okay. this person recognized me. Maybe I recognize them. Maybe a little bit. Maybe I'm not sure. Yeah. So if you flash back, you can basically say, we're going to flash back to and then sometime before now. So mm -hmm. you could say, I'm going to flash back to the time that I saw this craftsperson on this, you know, in on this corner, you know, basically just say as an author, this is when this is the moment we're flashing back to. Normally, when you do a flashback like that, I might say, oh, well, that's fairly unlikely. So it's going to you have to pay two stress because of better to be a tiger than a man. That flashback costs no stress. So okay. you tell me what moment we flash back to if you want to do something daring there you might roll then um but you basically you get to be the author for a moment okay i saw this particular craftsperson back in the low associating with a group of um organized crime people gangsters gangsters that uh, i normally tried to avoid and didn't think much of it because, you know, it's kind of a small, wet neighborhood and we all kind of know each other. But he's got a very distinctive face and I recognize the face and I know that he keeps low company. Lower than I used to keep even. Okay. Yeah, I think that is just establishing a detail. Okay. So I don't think I'll need to make you roll for that. But okay. basically, you know, the, the, the craftsperson comes and... You know, if this were a TV show, we would cut to <laughs> Lutris seeing that person in the low, seeing some associations or a quick montage, and then we jump back to see Lutris leaping into action. So you have one in skirmish. You would start with one die. You can push yourself, which means you mark two stress. Stress is the, a resource you have um, to basically get to do cool things or resist bad things. 
I will let you all know that it's fine to do a push a push or two or an assist because you will get to clear your stress between this evening and when we do your your first errand. So I would invite you to push for an extra die if you like because with a one in skirmish, you'd roll one die and you need a four plus for a success or a six for a success without consequences. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think an assist like that definitely makes sense as you're like making your way to Lutris, especially because Lutris is right next to um, Morgane. You see that one of the um, one of the servers has emerged from like emerges from some some smoke and the tray that they have is sharp and they are going to try to Damn. basically they're, basically, they're following um on and about to throw the they're about to throw that that tray uh, at lutris and so you could assist by interposing yourself and doing something about that please okay. please save me from odd job yeah yeah yeah. i was just gonna say that <laughs> show them what you do random task so i uh right so i imagine that you know both uh swords are out and uh as the sort of tray is coming back what i'd like <laughs> to do is to step in front with swords crossed to block the tray and what i'd really like to do is block it and then just all my strength down to get the tray out of his hand this is this is my imagination. Step forward, interpose, tray down, knee in the chest, throwing him back on the ground with the sword at his throat, and then I'll say something cool once I figure that out. That's that's what I would that's what I'd like to do. Now, how do I do that? <laughs> yeah. So if you're doing an assist in a situation like this, I'm fine to say, cool, you did that thing. It's an assist. One of the things that's fun in this game is that sometimes you get to do a really cool thing without having to roll for it because you're really just assisting somebody else. Okay. Well then awesome. Then I then I appreciate that. And so I will do that. And so it clatters to the ground. I am curious, one one note as I'm knocking this person to the ground with a knee in the mm -hmm. chest. Do I get a sense does the how much resistance does the foe servant put up? That is to say is this something that I'm able to do with relative ease, or if this is this a person who only my superior whatever is able to overbear this person? I want to know how professional this person is, basically. Sure. Is and I don't so, know whether what you can tell me if anything about that. Yeah, I think because you are using your fine weapons, you are able to do this relatively easy. But you think if you were using lesser weapons or weapons you weren't familiar with this would be more of a straight up challenge because of the them having initiative and because things are so chaotic and you're having to keep track of everything okay um, so this is a tier two opponent and you oh. are a tier two group and then you have a fine item which lets you take effect as if you were tier three Gotcha. So I'll give you that bit of information. What's the cool thing you say? So when I when he is the knee in the chest uh, and he is knocked down to the ground and the sword immediately is down at his throat and I say, oh, that'll be enough of that. There's been enough damage, I think, to plates and other items tonight. Instead, we're going to talk, you and I, in just a moment, about what guild of servants you've come from and who you intended to serve here. In the meantime, stay there, barely breathing, for just a moment, yes? 
And then I turn around with my sword still at his throat, by the way, with my other sword held out. And I turn to see, is the smoke still in the room or has it started to clear at all? Can I see? And can I see where Lutris is? So I think because you had a cool monologue, your timeline has advanced past when Lutris has made the role. So I'm going to jump back to Lutris. Real okay, quick. great. That, okay. That's good. I come back turning as Lutris is doing something awesome. All right, cool. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully I'm doing something awesome. The dice will tell me if I'm doing something awesome. So Primi, you have one for your skirmish. You yeah. Plus one die from giving, getting an assist. And you can go ahead and count as if you've pushed if you want. Sounds like this is an important thing. So that would yeah, mean this you, is important. you would want to type forward slash roll 3d6 in roll 20 all as one phrase. Uh, I got a three, a two, and a five. Okay, so on a five, you do it, but there's a consequence. Okay. Well, that's life. Yeah, so I think... <laughs> do I drop yeah. my drink? So which, that's what happens, a consequence. What happens is that you get the knife away, but he trips you, and then... Or or uh, gets the knife away, he jumps... Plant, uh, and then jumps up from your shoulder onto uh, like a bit of like uh, it's not like a chandelier, but it's like a a, a window pane or something. So um, he's a cat. The consequence is say. that he is he is out of the room in an instant. No, oh. you lose the opportunity to capture him. <laughs> does he smash the window when he does that? Uh, he or does. The he open? does go. He, okay. Um, okay. He does go through the window. So, yeah. I, so I just turn around to see by that point. So Lutris <laughs> is down on the ground with a knife, but then covered in glass as he's out the window, basically. Um, yeah. All right, I'm going to jump to <laughs> Lutris. You're not supposed to break the fine things. Yes. <laughs> Can I? Because I have the ability to have a flashback of setting traps. And I've already discussed how I've been putting little things around to test different things. So on the window, on a lark. Mm -hmm. um, I had set up before the party and I'd actually set us up a couple of days ago because I was thinking what if somebody decides to do like because a lot of people are kind of fancy around here and it's a party so I was kind of picturing what if somebody like decides to just take a rope and just kind of fly through the window and do a double hoop and then stab somebody in the heart as they land I have an active imagination I've seen these things <laughs> and so I had set a um, a trap on the window itself that electrifies it to a certain degree so anybody who tried to break it would basically get zapped that's literally which... what I just said in chat I really I don't know if you were looking at the chat but that's the best it's like so the window's electrified not, and you're I like the window's electrified I'm like of course it is so um oh, man. so and it's something that we've used for monsters before little electricity uh traps to just kind of stop them so that they're not dead they're just which i i know is bad now i understand but uh, <laughs> so they're just kind of right there for a while so that you can collect the pieces correctly while they're still alive it's terrible i'm sorry cool so you get to flashback why don't you make a roll for setting the trap in that flashback okay and what action it is, is up to you. What action do you think you use to set a trap like this? Hunt is certainly an option here. I was going to say hunt, yeah, because it's it's something that I'd, I'd be thinking about. I'm pulling on my experience. I'm hunting for a random, really, really out there scenario. Just having okay. fun. Yeah, so you'll start at two die for sure, and you'll get increased effect, which basically if you hit will not just knock this person out, but will send them 
flying back into the room so they are easier to secure. Oh, I want that real bad. Um, so how do I, so I get two die in this one? You have, uh, you have two die. Uh, I, I do at the, this moment want to pause because I know that Brandon has the, the assist move to see if uh, he would like to have been a part of setting this, these defenses. You are not required mm. to, but I want to give you the opportunity. Uh, let me look at that move again. Um, uh, foresight, twice per errand, you may assist a teammate without paying stress. Describe how you prepared for it. How did I prepare for this? Perhaps you helped me come up with the unlikely scenario of someone flying through the window? Just a thought. I feel like... I feel like the thing that I would have prepared for as a result was... Because I know that these windows, being art-crafted, are a big deal to uh, the Vorsters because... Keeping up appearances is very important, and also re replacing those glasses, replacing those uh, windows is very expensive and very difficult and time-consuming. That, because of an argument I had with Morgan, I was tasked with personally ensuring that, is, uh, that multiple bodyguards would be available at the foot of every window from the outdoors. But as a result, all of them are immediately available to see you in the instance that you need physical assistance. So the role would have been in the past. So is that the guards helping set the traps? Uh, yes. Okay. Cool. Um, so if you they mark could boost me. <laughs> yeah, if you mark one use of foresight, which you'll refresh before we do the next thing, um, then Marie, you can take a assist on that. Okay, awesome. So now I do 3d6. Yep. Um, what does it mean when it says 10 take plus one effect when setting or having set a trap? So the the effect bonus is why I described that they would get shot back into the room. Right. So you, in this, you would have standard effect, but because of your ability, you get greater effect. And so instead of being shocked and maybe falling out of the building... This person is going to fall back into the building so that they are easier to capture. Perfect. All right. So, and what am I trying to hit with 3D6? A, if you get a six, you get success with no consequence. If you get more than one six, you get a critical and you get extra okay. effect. If you get, if your highest is a four or a five, you will succeed, but there will be a consequence. And if your highest is three or below, then there you do not succeed and there is a consequence. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like that system. Okay, 3D6 incoming. Great. Oh, no! <laughs> I'm so not good at my traps. I'm so sorry. total of six. <laughs> so six is there, the number. What you, you look up expecting that this person will, will get shocked and thrown back into the room but you see that someone has ever so expertly clipped the wires mm. so that the <gasps> trap has, has been sabotaged. Okay. I pull out my uh, bow and, oh, I totally want to hunt this person down now. Can I hunt them down? Perhaps, but we're going to snap zoom through and across the room as if this were leverage again, because why not, to to Zelfa 
and uh, Caitlin. So Zelfa, how do you notice the sniper on the third floor? The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com. Hi, everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvanelleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.